This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club, and this is your show. So everything seems rosy again for the Happy Flowers team. Pat Guardiola got his wish and his side blossomed in their comfortable 3-0 win over Wolves to nip any immediate concerns in the bud. Erling Haaland was the thorn in the visitors' side as he popped up with his fourth hat-trick of the season. But that wasn't the only headline. We'll get to the root of the talking points on this week's Blue Moon podcast. Also on this week's show, we're talking about the chase with Arsenal. It might be an FA Cup tie coming up on Friday, but it's hard to ignore the ongoing battle at the top of the league table. Guardiola's warned, unless City get their hunger back, that it's the Gunners' title to lose. So we'll look into their recent performances with Arsenal fan Michael Kashani later on too. All that to come, so let's get underway. I'm David Mooney and this week I'm joined by, from the Sporting News, Dom Farrell. Hello. And City fan and hopefully someone who enjoyed the flower puns earlier on, Chris Higginbottom. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing? There really is no drop in quality uh, on this broadcast. <laughs> Lovely Blooming stuff. marvellous. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I make no apologies, Chris. Uh, but I thought as a as a keen gardener, you would uh, you would enjoy it. So uh. <laughs> no, very very nicely done. There we go. I dug it. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Keep them coming. Keep them coming and see if I spot them all show. Um, now, just because I think it's interesting in the light of the Arsenal game coming up, we'll talk about the uh, the performance in relation to Guardiola's comments a bit later on in the show. So first, let's start with Erling Haaland. Um, fourth hat-trick of the season. First player to do that since uh, 1929 for City. Uh, he's one behind Shearer's Premier League record of five hat-tricks in a season now. Um, and 25 goals is better than the Golden Boot total in 16 previous Premier League seasons. Um, Dom, this is just a bit mad now, isn't it? It is good. Like You know when it's these records get mentioned and you know that the guys he's now getting compared with are, are dudes you've never heard of from the 1920s and 30s. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, do you remember like the Benil and Skinner thing of old football with rubbish? It's like, <laughs> those are the fellas that Haaland's now putting himself up against now. I mean, I mean, it's the Dixie Dean season record 62 or something. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't know, but it's, it's in his sights, isn't it? It's, it's, it's wild. A, yeah, it's like, we're, still, we're in January and the Dixie Dean record is still plausible. Is yeah, it's, it's absolutely mad. I mean, it, it's kind of helpful when um, when Jose Sarr has a brainwave like he does on his hat-trick goal. But um, the, the weird, one of the, the many strange things about Haaland is like that that feels different to a lot of plays you've watched previously is when he gets to two goals thinking, oh, he'll get a hat-trick now then. It's like it, how, how the hat-trick feels almost inevitable after he's got a brace. That's That's not normal, is it? No, it's not. I've, I've just got this image, though, now of him playing in top hat and tails with a moustache. <laughs> yeah, I'd tell you, I'd, I'd like to see Pipe. Kevin De Bruyne... If, yeah. <laughs> I'd, like to see Ke- I'd like to see Kevin De Bruyne stand up one of those leather lumps of lead to the back post. Like, <laughs> see, see what Harlan could do with one of them. I mean, yeah. but I imagine Harlan would just head it really hard because he's just a massive <laughs> robot, isn't he? So, yeah. Yeah, Chris, uh, I mean, the, the performance uh, at weekend against Wolves, I guess it's put the, the City better without Haaland stuff to bed now. I think it, it, it just goes to show that that this whole discourse of City being better without Haaland just happened to coincide with City's little bit of a rough patch, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, just a weird kind of conundrum, isn't it? Because he is obviously in like the top one of world centre-forwards. <laughs> But it also presents us with a bit of a predicament in terms of how best to, well, how to get the best out of him and play uh, the the way that we're used to playing and we have had to adapt. It's absolutely uh, wild that this might not be the best out of him. <laughs> well, yeah, it 
it does feel it's like you say it's weird though it's it, it does feel like that doesn't it at times um but his, his link up play is good i mean he's he's he's, he's an all round package and we do seem to be getting better at uh playing kind of harlem ball yeah have you noticed anything different in in the last couple of games, uh, Dom? Because obviously the the Spurs game was a bit of a it, it was a bit of a wild ride anyway. But in terms of, of of how City set up against against Wolves, it's it felt a lot more back to normal and a lot more kind of focused towards getting Haaland in behind. Yeah, I mean, it, it did feel a bit like after the Manchester derby that Ian Wright did that compilation of match of the day of like all the time City didn't look for him behind. It did feel a bit like City have all sat down and watched Ian Ryan and gone, oh, fair enough. I mean, obviously, they've, they've probably had very, very similar video things put together by their analysis team. I think the last few I'm, games I love, I love the idea that somebody's got up to Guardiola in the, in the last week and gone, hey, Pep, have you, have you thought about trying to get the fastest guy in the team in behind? You know, when he, whenever, whenever he gets in behind, he seems to score. We could, we could yeah. just do that. Pep, have you seen <laughs> what Ian Wright's been saying? <laughs> <laughs> A pet would have ended on five minutes about how amazing Ian Wright was and a great guy, amazing player, and all that sort of <laughs> stuff, wouldn't he? Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so I, I, obviously, I think it was remarked upon during the derby that he was coming deep quite a bit and United were kind of letting him do that because obviously his link up play is good. I mean, this, this idea that he's like, you know, a big, a big goals freak who can't pass. I mean, obviously, he can, you don't get to the standard of football he's got to without being able to do the basics well, and he can do that. But one thing I noticed during that game when the United centre-backs just let him go because what he did was like he was coming, he'd doing a tidy layoff and then he'd move again. But there was no need to follow him in the way that maybe you would have followed Foden or Bernardo Silva or any of the rotating false nines because they might turn and spin and beat a man or will play a pass and move somewhere else you don't expect. So it was good that he was doing that, but then that gets to a point of, Okay, but he's got to be around the box a little bit more. And yeah, there was there was some of those uneven performances early in the season where it felt like they were looking for the shiny new toy a bit too much. The I think I've heard it cited a couple of times that Palace game where um, they would seem to go for him far too early and they're two 0 down. Then he scores a hat trick as he does in the second half when they kind of got it a bit right. So I think in terms of they then stopped looking. It looked like it seemed like they'd stopped looking for those balls, and that could be related to team form and confidence altogether. The Tottenham and Wolves games um, seem like they're getting close to finding that happy medium of when he's got a coming link and when they've got to look for him in behind. It looks like they're they're slowly getting to where that needs to be. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? We haven't done this for a while. It's a quiz on Erling Haaland at City. Just thought I'd chuck one of those in because, you know, on a week where there's interesting things to talk about, I thought I'd fill the show with rubbish. Um, So, you know the drill. Six questions, uh, three each. Uh, Chris, as the man who is exasperated, I'm going to let you go first. One to six, what number would you like? Six, please. Question number six. Okay. By how many goals is Erling Haaland currently leading the race for the Premier League's Golden Boot? Ten? No, it's nine. He's got uh, he's got twenty five. Kane's got sixteen. He, uh, Kane scored on Monday night. It was ten. Ooh, it was yeah. ten after uh, after the game against Wolves. But it's uh, went, to, oh, went to nine on only, Monday night. That was only <laughs> last night. That was like a matter of hours ago. My my answer was up to date <laughs> at like ten o'clock last night. Just about. Yeah. Sorry about that. So uh, swinging a miss, Dom. Uh, can I have number two, please? 
Number two. Uh, which of City's defenders has provided the most assists for Erling Haaland so far this season? Um, I know he's kind of fallen off a cliff, but I'd still have to say Cancelo. It is Cancelo. Dortmund, Copenhagen and Southampton are the uh, are the three that he's got. I, I wrote, When I wrote this question, I wrote it because I thought it was going to be John Stones because Stones has two and I thought that would be a really nice little thing but no, Cancelo went and got two more uh, after Stones did. Uh, Gomez, by the way, is the only other defender that's assisted him. Uh, it's got, assisted one of his goals against United. Cancelo, I, re- I remember him. So, uh, so. <laughs> uh, 1-0, Chris? Um, five, please. Question number five. Which song did Erling Haaland sing for his initiation into the City squad? Uh, I I absolutely haven't got a clue. Uh, This is one of these. If you don't know it, you ain't getting it. I want to know what love is by (laughs) Foreigner. If only. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, how, how, How does that go again? I want to know what love is. <laughs> yeah, no, that, uh, that isn't it. No, he sang uh, Hero by Ingr- Enrique Iglesias. Well, you know. I can be your hero, baby. And uh, boy, How does that go? I can be your hero, baby. Oh, Christ. Please don't go on. <laughs> yeah, who sings that one again? Let's leave it that way. Um, <laughs> Don, what are you having? <laughs> Um, the one where I don't have to sing. Uh, number three. Number three. Okay. Uh, Sergio Aguero and which other former City striker are the only players to have scored more than Erling Haaland's current total of 31 in all competitions in a single top flight post-war season? Um, I'm honestly not... Oh, Sean Gota. No. Can Gota I can do it in the top flight. Go to the individual. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, sorry, sorry yeah. about that. Can I have a guess, Chris. Andy, Andy Cole. No, <laughs> no. Uh, it was Francis Lee, thirty-five in uh, 1970-71. Was this? Oh, was this for City? Yes. Sorry. All oh, right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I thought I'd keep the questions about City. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, I suppose it is that kind of you know it's a bit city-centric this show, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it has it has been a criticism in the past, but you know. here's me trying to bring former rags in. Sorry about yeah. that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> now still one nil. Uh, one or four available for you, Chris. Uh, number one. Number one. Please. Against which team did Erling Haaland score his first City hat-trick? Oh. Uh, I'm so crap at stuff like remembering things. <laughs> Quite detrimental <laughs> in a quiz, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a setback. Uh, and I've hardly had any sleep. Did I tell you I'd done my back in? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Oh. oh, you're right, Chris. Sorry, that was just the mic uh, scraping again. I wasn't. I was leaving the room in disgust. It sounded like you stormed own, off. Yeah, my, my own <laughs> lack of uh, memory and record knowledge. scratch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's uh, unfortunately, Chris. It's already been brought up on the show so far today. It was Crystal Palace. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he scored against Crystal Palace, then Nottingham Forest, then he, then United, and uh, then Wolves at the weekend. Uh, Dom, so you are the winner. Uh, but can you make it two 0 uh, Question number four: Which team has Erling Haaland so far scored the most goals against for City? I'm enjoying the lack of scoring in this Erling Haaland quiz, by the way. Um, <laughs> Deep irony there, isn't there? Oh, it be Wolves, won't it? It is Wolves. Four goals. Yeah. There we go. So we finish with a 2-0 win for Dom. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. 
This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Chris, Kevin De Bruyne. I thought against Wolves, uh, the way that he was he, he was buzzing around in the second half and the way that he was uh, kind of, he, he seemed to be back on the ball uh, a lot more in dangerous areas. Um, I thought it was signs of the old De Bruyne back. Yeah, I don't know what it is with him. Uh, I suspect he was carrying some kind of knock because it's hard to think of a viable explanation as why, as to why um, De Bruyne isn't, you know, otherwise dominating and, and pulling the strings. I know people have dips in form, but he just looked kind of knackered. Um, and now he just seems a little bit more, got a bit more vitality about him. So I don't know. <laughs> He's been benched a few times. Maybe he was just tired. Yeah. Dom, do you reckon, and like just going back to Haaland a little bit, could the Erling Haaland has made City a worse team discussion actually have been a little bit of a chat about how De Bruyne's form's not been there at the moment? Yeah, it's like the guy with 25 Premier League goals isn't the problem. It's actually the guy with 11 Premier League assists in January. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I, think, you know, it's, I think everyone's got to a point where you... Know, the, you you know, you can accuse Guardiola of famously overthinking things. I reckon City fans of all, quite kind of to a to a greater or lesser extent, we bought into that. Watching, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um Stockholm syndrome kind of thing. With Pep. That, that's where we are. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. He did look tired, but he is a guy who often just does look tired. You know, as a sort of a similarly sort of fair skinned bloke, you can look really, really out of breath and flushed cheeks after that. A small bit of exercise, so there's that. But or I think sunshine. Did, yeah. is, is, is that just that you're out of condition, Dom? Is that is that what we, you tell yeah, us? Obviously, <laughs> I looked. I, I looked tired after five minutes of football. Kevin De Bruyne probably gets through an hour, but <laughs> it, it, from a skin tone point of view, it, anyway. To um, I think it makes sense. But yeah, he had a, he had a bad World Cup with Belgium, who had a you know a terrible tournament all round. Even going back to in that running. The, the Liverpool running, which I think we can make a wider point about how it might have drained a lot of people around the whole organisation, to use Guardiola's phrase. De Bruyne properly just left it all out in the field there, didn't he? Like, he, he, it was kind of, there were a few games there, Wolves when he scored the four goals, where he kind of just thought, sod this, I'm going to win the league. And, and him during the pitch invasion after Villa looked like just total euphoria, but very tired euphoria. So, so there is that. I think... Yeah, maybe his his adaptation to Haaland. I mean, Guardiola, talk, again, with control has been this big theme. Um, he's one of the guys that isn't a control player. He's a numbers guy. He goes for like sort of like the the key passes, the Hollywood passes. He, so, take, he takes on more difficult chances. Yeah, he, he yeah. takes more risks, yeah. That's why, so last, say, for example, if you had a situation with Bernardo Silva playing as a false nine, He's not a risk taker, and De Bruyne was taking all the risks in that forward line. You've now got two of them, so there is. You've got this weird thing at the moment with City where it can look devastating, but it can also look vulnerable, and they don't have those periods of long sort of dominance of games quite as easily. Um, yeah, it's another thing to iron out. But if you're ironing things out with De Bruyne not playing at his best, but getting eleven league assists by January, and Haaland maybe making the overall team not smooth, but scoring at like pre-war levels, it's probably not a bad place to be in while you work things out. Yeah. Um, word on the defence, Chris, uh, because um, in a, in another kind of pet roulette fashion, City finished with four centre-backs and no full-backs on the pitch. Um, how, how's it come to this? Like, it, it, and, and 
not necessarily is it a bad thing, but is it is it okay? Is it going to work? Well, it has worked. Whether it'll work in the future, I don't know. I have a few question marks about a kanji. Um, don't really think he, I personally don't think he's shown <clears throat> that he's quite good enough. Um, I don't know what there's something going on with Walker. Um, I don't know if he's one of the ones that he doesn't feel has the fire or the desire and he's been left out to kind of cultivate that. Um, but I I don't think he can... You can't continue like that over the course of a season, I don't think. I think you'll get found out with a Kanji playing too much at, at right back. Uh, I've got a lot of time for Aki uh, at left back in comparison to that, but... Still, it's still yeah. not a natural left back, is it? It's that no, no. You can left back, and he was performing all sorts of mystery and wonder last season. So. Well, yeah, I mean, Aki might not be a left back, but he's definitely a defender. Um, there's question marks over Cancelo on, on on both of those, as wonderful as he can be uh, going forward. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Dom, uh, can we take a moment, though, in all of this uh, to appreciate John Stones' performance? Because for a, a player that was that is named as a centre-back, is I, I, I think he was then shifted to right-back when uh, Guardiola made the change. Um, at half time, but then spent most of the game in and around the opposition penalty area in the number nine <laughs> position. Like, like, like the quality that he's showing to do that, fantastic, isn't he? Yeah, I think you know. There's lots of conjecture about the people who are the um, the complacent people on the Happy Flowers team. It's absolutely not John Stones who is, I think, playing the best football of his career. I think people have always wondered whether he's a guy that could play in a midfield role and doing those Guardiola things. But I remember when he was at a bit of a low ebb, I think it might have been a game against Palace. Uh, he got played at the base of the midfield and it looked like a fish out of water. It was horrible. Um, now when he does that stepping into midfield thing from fullback, which he's had to play this season on account of there not being many fullbacks, he looks completely composed doing it. There was, I mean, in an otherwise forgettable nil-nil draw at Dortmund in the Champions League, I thought he basically controlled the game. He, he's been magnificent. And that actually... It does create a bit of a problem for, along with Rico Lewis coming in and looking just like the most natural footballer, that creates a bit of a problem for Walker and Cancelo as well, because if one of the fullbacks is going to have to come in and play alongside Rodri, which is part of the maintaining the control they might have lost now Haaland's playing centre-forward, Stones, along with Lewis, does that better than Walker or Cancelo at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, He's massively, massively important if they're going to do this thing where it's a switching between a back three and a back four. He can play on the right as the centre-back or the right-back, doing both really well. He's um, If he can stay fit away from the niggles that often hinder him, he's he's probably the first defender on the team sheet at the moment, isn't he? He's just a great footballer. Uh, a lot of defenders aren't great footballers, but John Stones really is. Uh, yeah, yeah, can't get enough of... Um, Watching him on the ball, he's great. How about uh, how about back with Laporte as well? What do you think of uh, of Laporte's return to the, the team and how he did? Um, I thought he did great in that there's nothing that you can criticise him for particularly. Um, you know, Stones stood out 
just because of how kind of um, you know how, just how graceful a player is and how good he is on the ball. But Laporte isn't uh, isn't bad either, is he? So yeah. it, I mean, it's it's just great to have him have them both fit at the same time. Getting both in the team is uh, is is a good a good omen for the next few weeks, I guess. Um, it seems to be a rule that doesn't it for a while, where if one's fit, the other has to be injured. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's the it's what it's uh, every action is an equal and opposite reaction, isn't it? That's the uh, yeah uh, the, the um, Newtonian defensive law. Yeah, um, Grealish of, of hamstrings of yeah, hamstrings. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Grealish Dom is uh, another one I thought had a good display. Are we starting to see the kind of second season settling in? in a Guardiola side from Grealish yeah. Um Possibly, although I don't think, he probably wouldn't thank us for saying that because I think the Guardiola second season has been a stick to beat Grealish with the season so far. I'm like, see, he's not having a sec- Guardiola second season <laughs> yet. And so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, he's come back from the World Cup in really good form. Uh, he is now getting the goal involvements that, more in line with what people would have expected. Again, you know, he wasn't a guy that did huge numbers at Villa the same way that the guy on the other flank now, Mares, did at Leicester. But um, I think that's a big thing. I think a lot of people got to a point of rolling their eyes at Grealish and Mares would mean it wouldn't be dynamic. It would be a bit too sort of cautious. But if they're both in form where they're creating chances, providing assists and scoring goals, it can be exactly the same tactics, but it all of a sudden looks like a more incisive setup, just simply because of the, the the form of the two individuals. I, mean, I think it's it's understandable to get sort of waylaid with sort of tactical thoughts around a Guardiola team, but I think it maybe is as simple that both Grealish and Mares are playing better than they were early in the season. And yeah, he's um one thing I've noticed about Grealish is whenever he does anything sort of fair, half decent in a game now, the fans start singing his name. So that's got to feel good. That's that, that that's like a probably a pretty good barometer of where he's at at the moment. And yeah, he's a yeah. uh, Foden's got this foot, this foot problem that's come up again, which might explain a little bit of why he's not been completely at the races. And has he got a foot I, problem? Well, I don't know, but he did have a, he had a foot problem before the Euros final, didn't he? So yeah, I'll give benefit of the doubt that it could be a recurring issue that they've got to look at. I don't. I, know. I, th- I do um, think in this case it's one of those where you just have to kind of go. That's the explanation given. We can't. We we have to take it at face value. I think. Yeah. I do. Th- also, I think Guardiola in these situations where he tries to fib about an injury he just go it's not fit I decided for the other ones it's niggles they're the things he says the fact he went specific on a foot injury makes me think it probably is because he'd be a shocking poker player with some of the things because when he, when he, <laughs> we, we've talked about how interesting that press conference after Tottenham was to watch um, it was because you kind of know he's telling the truth because he's not great at fibs really yeah yeah. Uh, just quickly on on Grealish, Chris. Um, how did he not get a penalty? How, like, is is there a Sterling style issue here with fouls on him, where he has to do more to win a foul because of who he is? I think so. Yeah. The thing is with Sterling and Grealish, they get fouled that regularly that you kind of know you're going to get fouled, and it's that inevitable. There's like a complacency in your sort of going down in slow motion, having been fouled, looking at the ref going, your hands are already in the air going, see, it's happened again. You almost have to put a bit more effort into being fouled more convincingly, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Because it's like, he knows he's going to get fouled. And it's sometimes... I'm not mad, you know I'm, I mean I'm, not, I'm not going mad, am I? Like, it, was a, it was a clear penalty that was just looked at and they went, well, no. 
Well, it seems it seems to be, yeah. But I think there is there is a bit of um, there's a few things at play there. There's, there's a bit of prejudice because he does draw fouls on purpose. Uh, he does get fouled a lot, whether he's drawing them or not. And I think there is also that element that I just did a, such a bad job of of describing, whereby if you get fouled like you know every. 10 minutes after a while you just you're going down and it's like I say you're already kind of your body language is kind of expecting it so it just it almost looks makes the foul itself look less convincing does that make any sense it was also it it was a refereeing performance where David Coote didn't give out a yellow card did that classic thing about the first five minutes to try not go mad on the first foul on Rico Lewis and then after 12 minutes he'd booked two different Wolves players and their manager so I think that says something about (laughs) how well the officials had a handle on the contest overall. I mean, it's moaning about refs is boring, but I think it's it's, the it's, a, val- it's a valid point. Yeah, I thought it's, yeah, it's it was just a bit harsh on the manager as well because he had a valid point as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, uh, Guardiola certainly ruffled some feathers after City's comeback against Spurs, as we've mentioned already, discussing the reasons why he hadn't been happy with his side in recent weeks. While many were enjoying the turnaround against Tottenham, Pep was sending a message to his players to say if the manager was happy with the response in the performance against Wolves. We've put Sam Roscoe on the case. On last week's podcast, we had a large portion of Pep Guardiola's post-match press conference from the win over Spurs. In it, he let rip about the hunger, the desire, the attitude of his team. I want a reaction for all the club, all organisation, not just the players, the staff and everyone. Happy flowers, team. Happy flowers, organisation. Ah, it's good, good. No, I don't want to be happy flower. I want to be Arsenal. The manager hasn't been happy with something this season, but it's difficult to explain exactly what. The effort from the players isn't in question, it's something more abstract. They turn really good, they want it, but there is something that is here, in the clouds, like you cannot express. Guardiola went further in the second part of that media conference. We couldn't play it on last week's show because it was embargoed, but we are able to now. He explained that the challenge of keeping the players hungry is one of the reasons he signed his contract extension. I won four ligas in Spain when I was a football player, four in a row, and the fifth I was not the same, and the sixth I was not the same. I was not starving enough. Caviar for the Premier League, how good I am. Madrid beat me, fifth and the sixth. I understand them, but I'm there to do it. And the chairman knows that I want to be here, otherwise I don't extend. But if I lose the team or I lose something, I cannot be here. Here people doesn't wait. He kept reiterating that he knew the quality of the team, but that quality alone wasn't enough. We have to, every every game has to be like that. That's why we're able to make 18 games in a row, 16 games in a row, 15 games in a row, many times to win with one. That's why we'll be all the time. That's, I'm sorry guys, for our haters. We'll be in the books in this in the Premier League at that team, what we have done. Undeniable. How good we have done, the record breakers, many things, and the consistency in the play in a good level. But it's the past. He was then asked if he'd support United against Arsenal at the weekend. But Pep being Pep, he didn't give a straightforward answer. He said that the title race wouldn't come down to individual results here and there, 
and that he needed his side to regain a lot of what Arsenal currently have. How they celebrate the goals, how they talk, how they hug, how they, mm. how they look each other, how they talk, how they communicate, how... This is football, this is tactic as well. And right now, we don't have it. As we now know, Arsenal went on to score a last-minute winner against United at the weekend, after City had won comfortably against Wolves. Guardiola didn't know that would happen when he gave his reaction to his side's victory. But even so, did he see what he wanted to? Yeah, the, the way we play was quite, I would say, similar to the first half when we were losing 2-0 against, uh, against the Spurs. The, our game, our football was really, really good. Uh, but you lost 2-0. It's because the reason why we didn't have it today, we improved, but just was today. We'll see it happen in the in the next games. After Spurs, Guardiola said there were a million things that he sees that the outside world doesn't. He was asked after Sunday's win against Wolves if those things had improved too. We have to be more, pay more attention in many many details, like people see the goals from Erling, the assists from Kevin, the actions from Riyad, but there are things that are still. Uh, today we, we make a step, we spoke a lot about that, but still it's just one game, we'll see what happens in the future. Even with those improvements though, Guardiola will probably have been a little deflated with the manner of Arsenal's win on Sunday evening. Given what he said his side have been lacking, a boost from a 90th minute goal is probably the last thing he wanted to see this weekend. With two meetings in the league with Arsenal to come, plus this week's FA Cup tie against them, there's plenty still to play for. Guardiola will be hoping his team's hunger continues to return and that they'll be starving enough once more to close the gap at the top of the table over the next few months. Hi, this is David Bernstein and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was Sam Roscoe looking at everything Pep Guardiola's been saying this week. And while discussing what Guardiola did and didn't see in his team, we're going to morph that into the preview of the FA Cup tie with Arsenal on Friday. Listening to that also was Michael Kashani, Arsenal fan. Uh, Kesh, welcome back. Hi, how's it going? Not too bad, thanks. Uh, you sound croaky as hell, and I'm guessing that's a hangover from the uh, United game. <laughs> <laughs> I could that could certainly be I could certainly be accused of that. Yeah, it's, like I was saying to you before, I sound so much better. Yes, sound so much better today than I did yesterday. So that tells you how I was yesterday. Yeah, we're we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, I, I mean, we've just heard Guardiola talking about what City uh, are missing and what Arsenal have at the moment. What what are Arsenal doing well right now? I mean, the the easy answer is it's just it's everything really. It's every every we're so impressive in every area of the pitch and every player is excelling individually as well and the mood around the place is just it's unbelievable it's nothing like i've really experienced before um and so with and without the ball every everything's been pretty much sublime all season long so far i mean dom the when you when you hear what guardiola's been saying and how he's been been talking do you do you see what he's been critical of with city um i think in in an arsenal context i've seen a few city fans saying that like because it's the City whenever it's not quite right in the Guardiola, it gets compared to the 100-point season and the team with Sterling and Sane in it and playing with sort of a little bit more pace on the break, a bit more expansively. Um, 
I think there's been quite a lot of wistful looks at Arsenal and what they're doing and what they're doing well. Um, and the fact they're on course for 100 points. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mathematically it helps as well. Maybe that's oh, that, that, that's what it was like with City. But then again, in terms of the hunger, Guardiola will be talking about that because part of that season was it was all uncharted territory. You know, no one would have said Arsenal would be on for 100 points this season, but no one would have said that City in 17 18, after they were, you know, came a distant third the year before, were on for 100 points. So, yeah, you can't, you can never recreate that first time. Um, and I guess that's what Guardiola's working through at the moment now, like trying, you know, they've, you know, they've done back to back. They didn't do three in a row. They're trying to do three in a row again. And it's like, you, you sort of try and you can't replicate the, the feeling of what Arsenal are going through now, but you've got to try and find ways to kind of bridge that gap, which I think is why he took his fairly extreme, um, bring a bucket of popcorn to the press conference approach he did after the Tottenham game. Yeah, I mean, the, the the funny thing is, Chris, um, I mean, just in, in terms of, of, of that hunger, um, because like Dom says, City have won back-to-backs in, you know, two of the last four seasons. You kind of, it, 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 I find it odd that they're, that they're hungry enough in the second season, but not hungry enough in the third season. Do you know what I mean? But then, like, like he's talking, the way he's talking, it's it's clear that there is something missing. There's something kind of like, like intangible that you can't put your finger on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's talking from personal experience as a player as well as what he's seen on the pitch. And he's not the only person to have alluded to it. Gundogan um, came out with a pretty scathing uh, assessment of it along those lines. It's just human nature. And um, it kind of, you know, for all the tactical nous and the exacting instructions you give someone on the pitch and all the routines you go through in training and the knowledge of what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to be. You know, I mean, quite often your DAR opinions get kind of knocked um, or, you know, opinions get mocked for being simplistic. But there's a lot to be said for sometimes they're just not up for it enough. Or, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, I'll, if, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, mate. I've walked out on enough football pitches where I've been thinking I'm not up for this tonight. <laughs> well, yeah. And um, I mean, that's basically Pep is now, you know, extolling the ultimate Yadar um, opinion. He's just saying they, 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 they don't want it enough. So, yeah. But he's, he's doing everything for an effect, isn't he? He's doing it to create a reaction. Um I think when he brought the fans into that as well, it's the same. He's he knows what he's doing. He's doing it for a reaction. It seems to be working, and it better add because you know <laughs> if it doesn't, then I don't know what else he's got to to throw at it. Yeah, Kesh. I mean, I mean, in terms of that, um, in terms of Arsenal's hunger for this, because I, I mean, I've, we've I've got a couple of Arsenal mates as well who, you know, have, have been cautiously optimistic to this point in the season, and I get it because you've got like City as a team that have, you know, they've won four of the last five titles chasing you, um, but the position that you're in and the position that and the, and the kind of the quality of the football you've been playing this season, confidence must just be sky high at the moment. Yeah, it's there's there's no getting around it. This is sort of there is this sort of supreme confidence about the team. So to take the last two games that we've had, probably the most nervous I've been going into any matches this season, and they're just so assured and so confident everywhere, all over the pitch. And even even though United we let them score two daft goals, there was no I don't think there was any doubt in the stadium that we that we no one thought we'd lose. We weren't entirely sure we'd win, but there was just this. There was no feeling at 1-0 uh, down that 
we were going to lose the match. And that's a, it's a, it's a big change from the past few years as well. Um, and you see that in the team. The team is so focused and it's full of belief. Um, and so that, that's been a huge, a huge change. In sort of, and you were talking about the hunger there. I actually wanted to ask before and you kind of addressed it. Um, do you see many parallels between the Arsenal of this season and City in that Centurions year in terms of that, that complete self-assurance whenever they play? Well, I mean, Dom, you were talking about that. Is that is that, is that what you see here? Um, I think it's probably fair to say, yeah. And and little things like, see, it's all those little ingredients you get that start start to make a team look like a title winning team. Um, because the the thing in your imagination now of the Centurion season is City just went and steamrolled everyone every week, which they did a lot of that. But there were also an awful lot of late winners. There was that period around November in that season where. Sterling Kingsley. again and again and again, yeah. yeah. Like, sort of like, bellying one in at Huddersfield to, like, get a win. Which, you know, that that wasn't the champagne football moment of the season. But, like, obviously, Arsenal... I just think Arsenal, the last couple of weekends in particular, I mean, they've been very impressive all season, but they took Tottenham to pieces in the first half of that game. Um, and then, at the weekend against United... So, so, so that's, that's one thing of, like, just look so dominant in a supposedly tight game is one thing. But then against United, even though they were, on, the, 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 there were there were points at which people would have expected it to sort of, you know, with, with no disrespect to Cashman, people would expect it to go a little bit Arsenal, uh, as they mm-hmm. have been over over recent years. But you know, they started well. They go behind. The response was brilliant. They could have equalised a couple of times before Enketia does, and then to get pegged back to two two and do it again. And like, it's a it's a cliche. That's what champions are made of to win in the last minute. But obviously, you can't go doing that every week. You sometimes need a game where you put a team away in half an hour and put your feet up. And they've kind of done. They've they're ticking all of the boxes, and that's what obviously it goes. It feels like a really obvious point to make. If you're going to track for somewhere near 100 points, you need to be a pretty complete team, winning all types of games in all types of situations. And that's absolutely what they're doing. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. The other thing is, Cash, we've we've seen Arsenal leading the table at this stage in the season in previous mm-hmm. years. But this, I mean, this year does feel different, doesn't it? it I mean, it's, it's it's easy to say now in terms of feeling different, but it, it I mean, it does. And I think you, you guys have seen a lot as well with, with title winning teams around this time often well sometimes it's a case of sustaining what you already have and sometimes it's a case of finding another gear and i don't think we particularly need to find another gear we just need to sustain this level which is obviously no easy thing to do and there's no there's no definite reason that we would but the fact that we, we've been saying as you said we've got the variety of wins we've got this sort of variation in our play as well the fact that we have that so far is it, it's given me more confidence than any any title chase we've had since 2004 but then that's also easy to say because we haven't won one since then. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Chris, in terms of of City and and uh, that, as Cash says, you know, either stepping up a gear or sustaining it. City definitely need to step it up a gear, don't they? Well, yeah, we we definitely need to step it up, but we do know because of our experience that we are capable of doing that. And there's a although it it does feel different. I think a lot. Of, a lot of the reason it feels different is because it's nearly February and we're only halfway through the season because of Qatar. Um, so it kind of might be giving a 
a kind of false sense of comfort to an extent to Arsenal. Even though they are very, very impressive, they're still yet to have that lull, uh, that sort of stutter, you know, a game where they deserve to win and they don't and how that affects the confidence. Um, so could, I mean, could that... Could that- feasibly not come though I, I, like we, we, talk, we talk about the 17-18 Centurions for City and that never really came for City in that season no well, it true. came in April didn't it when it was kind of already done there was yeah. that week when they lost to Liverpool in the Champions League and United in the Derby when, but but the second of those games was a game that if they won it they'd won the league so a stutter was irrelevant then you could argue that that nil-nil draw against Newcastle was made was a bit of a oh let's see how Arsenal respond to this you know a, a frustrating nil-nil draw a game they should have mm. won Arteta, you know, getting pretty angry on the touchline, and look at what they've produced after it. I mean, it's it's impressive. Yeah. I think I think it one is of the impressive. questions is, yeah, people talk about squad depth with Arsenal, but one of the big places they've not they've not got depth is at centre forward. And look at what Eddie and Ketty has come in and done for Jesus. And that's another thing about when teams get on these runs. People forget that some of one of City's best performances in that seventeen eighteen season. Again, common theme. It was Tottenham at home, where they 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 sort of took them to pieces, one four one in the end, with a Spurs goal right at the end. Uh, Fabian Delph and Elikin Mangala were the left side of the City back four that day. Mm-hmm. You know, so when when things are working and when the team as a whole is working, you can kind of just drop people in. You know, I mean, I don't think they'd have wanted to drop Mangala in for too much longer, but <laughs> nevertheless, and I think he might have also been at centre back with Nicholas Otamendi. I mean, can you imagine? You, you wouldn't look at that defence and go. Well, they're going to get 100 points. So I, I think there's there's something to be said, and this maybe goes back to what Guardiola's on about with hunger and mentality, is when, when you're on those sort of roles, it could it can mask so much that if you were, saying a battle for fourth place, you'd be going, we've not got enough centre-forwards, we've not got covering defenders in midfield, we don't look great when the other team equalises. It just, it just, there's, I mean, momentum gets overused in sport, but it really does feel like they've got kind of an irresistible momentum at the moment. Yeah, and they've done well to sustain that after the World Cup as well because there's a yeah. lot of thinking maybe they'll drop off because it's a kind of an unknown quantity. Don't get me wrong, I'm not um, poo-pooing anything that Arsenal are doing. I'm just trying to temper it with a little bit of uh, <laughs> hope on my part. <laughs> no. They are going to start stuttering. A lot of City fans, I mean, I, I don't necessarily wouldn't necessarily compare them to the Centurions. I know they're on course for around that, that mark, but I think that was exceptional. Um, and I'd be surprised if they... If they get quite that uh, to that kind of pinnacle but have we got to the stage yet where we're hoping that if City aren't going to win the league then Arsenal at least win it with you know less than 100 points is that is that where we're at right now <laughs> absolutely not I'm not, I'm not <laughs> but I mean a lot of City fans are comparing Arsenal just generally to the way we play it's like a lot of, several times I've had people say to me and I've seen online like it's, it's like watching us it's like this is like how we should be playing and um, you know that's the biggest sort of compliment that uh, a biased uh, City fan can can give another team really yeah Kesh I mean a couple of things that that have happened this week and I guess uh, like Don was talking about momentum um, I guess there's nothing like a 90th minute winner to keep that up I mean I, like it, that, that that goal on, on Sunday evening genuinely reminded me of Sterling's against Southampton and yeah, there's there's nothing like it. But also, as you say, sort of with, in terms of the intangibles, in in a title-winning season, you need those moments where you really start to think, "Shit, this is this is actually happening." And that was definitely one of them. And especially after the month we've had, where we've played 
uh, what was it? Brighton away, Newcastle home, Spurs away, United at home. This, that's that's a very tough run, and we've drawn one and won the other three. And that's sort of that's a lot of where the confidence is coming from because we know that we can go toe to toe with well almost anyone. And then City are the big test for this, where there's a feeling within the fans at least where if anything's going to halt our momentum, it's going to be the games against City. But if we get through them, then I mean I think it's if we get through them, then what can stop us? Obviously, quite a lot can still stop us. But those are the ones that everyone's looking towards now. I mean, the league game more than the FA Cup game for obvious yeah. reasons. But They're really pivotal, aren't yeah. they, those league games? And if you do beat yeah. us and pull away because of that, then you absolutely deserve to win the league. And I yeah. think nobody nobody could uh, deny that at all. And, yeah. and that's sort of that's the the other sort of complicating factor as well is that if if it were just if, if City were Chelsea and they didn't have the thing that they've done in the last four years, but they played the exact same season. Between the fans, at least the ones that I speak to, we'd not be anywhere near as worried. But we know what City are capable of in terms of going on these runs and just dispatching teams really easily. And so we, yeah, we know we can't we can't count anything until we're nine points clear on the final day. If that is the stat <laughs> comes to pass, yeah. and even then, I won't be entirely confident. But, <laughs> but, there, but yeah, I mean, we were talking before about the difference between the two teams at the moment, and. It's it's the double-edged sword. Like we look like a team who have an average age of 23, most of whom have never won the title before and know that they've got the quality to do it. Whereas City look like the team who've, who've got, I don't know what the average age is, but let's say 20, 29, um, who've won four out of five. And then, so that's suiting us better now because that's the momentum that's pushing us and sustaining us. But, you know, when you, as you mentioned, if we have one of those hiccups, um, we have a couple of results that don't go our favour in the same week. How we react to that, is going to be it's going to be pivotal where you know if City have a couple of bad results as they have in the past few weeks they're probably just going to get back on the horse and start winning again and that's that's going to be our big test if it comes and I assume it will because that's you know how life works I'm interested Cash as well because I I remember you tweeting um during City's game against Fulham uh, before the World Cup like Harlan scores the last minute penalty and you tweeted something like uh, they can't keep doing this why how do they keep doing this sort of thing and I'm interested that the kind of the, the feeling among Arsenal fans about about how City keep digging themselves out of holes in this sort of situation. Because my feeling as a City fan in all of this is that City haven't done that enough this season. No, I mean, so that's that's been the strange thing. Games like Everton, games like Brentford, Fiola, they they've been the moments as well where you start thinking this they're not quite as relentless as they were. And I mean, there's a litany of reasons behind that, and also it might just be that they you know the the flip the switch flips and that relentlessness comes back a little bit more. A couple of players who maybe aren't playing as well at the moment, find their form, whatever else, whatever else. But, you know, that that the feeling, at least so that Fulham game was just before the Brentford game, if I recall. Yeah, it's the week before. Um, so, yeah, and then, but you have this, it's, I mean, to use an, a, a reference that you're like, I don't actually know the film it's a reference to, but David, you'll enjoy it. Um, when Bart, when when Skinner is going after Bart for skipping school, and he goes right under the water and walks straight back out, <laughs> the non giving up school guy. That's how it feels having City on your tail. Um, <laughs> and I was talking to Liverpool fans as well, and just saying like, "Fair play to you lot, because I've gone a lot more mental doing this for five years rather than the one that we've had to do so far." Um, yeah, so th- that's the that is the feeling of being chased by City, even though City aren't quite. Yeah, they, well, it's clearly something that's not quite there, but there's also something that very easily could be because it's Man City, because it's Guardiola, because there's so much. Because you you've got the more talented squad with more depth in it. Yeah, yeah. I think they but, went pretty mental. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, Dom, like when you compare City to how Arsenal have been playing this season, like is there a massive difference or is it is it literally kind of like one or two percent in City's performances that you get that right and suddenly you can put a run together of 15 wins? Um, it does feel like a bit of a difference now, but again, and this goes back to the, the talk about control around City's play lately is that for better or for worse, City don't play like they did when they won the first title in the Guardiola. They, they felt the need to sort of evolve things. And so they are a different team. You play in a slightly different way, even though obviously Arteta and Guardiola subscribe to a lot of the same footballing ideals. In terms of whether they can go on a big, long winning run, I, I wouldn't say they can at the moment, but and this is going to sound like a blindingly obvious thing to say. Those big, long winning runs have to start somewhere and they start after a defeat or a draw. And they tend not to start with a brilliant, emphatic performance. I mean, you think City's big run in 17-18 was when they won in the 97th minute at Bournemouth. Um, Didn't really, yeah. And struggled in that one, yeah. Yeah. The, um, was it, it was after that that nil-nil against West Brom. The, probably the last time Guardiola didn't recognise his team, sort of thing, in the lockdown season. So they don't, by, in the, by the very nature, 18-game winning runs... Don't tend to start with a team firing all cylinders. They kind of get there. They, I think City are in the, the place at the moment where they've got to earn the right to go on one of those runs. And the second half against Tottenham was a big part of that. It's like, does this team look like someone that's going to win 18 in a row? Absolutely not. They've been shocking in that first half. Well, not shocking, but shocking in the last five minutes of it, certainly. Um, so you just got to earn the right to win one and win one. And then if it gets to four or five, then you might be rolling. So, of course, they can, but... Of course, they don't look like a team that's going to at the moment by the same token. Yeah. Chris, what what are your feelings towards uh, that kind of momentum at the moment? Because, I mean, the evidence so far suggests that City aren't going to go on one of those runs, that another game like Brentford, like Everton, will pop up at some point soon. And then when you look at the fixture list, you know, they've got Spurs coming up, they've got Arsenal to play twice. They're, they're going to have to beat the teams at the top to, to, to put this run together. Well, yeah, and you've got to beat these teams to win the league anyway. So bring it on, I say. I mean, the best, I think the best thing for us might be to um, go head to head with Arsenal because if we don't step up to that, then we're not capable of, of winning the league, in my opinion. Uh, it was actually Lao Tzu, the Chinese philosopher, who said the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, just to uh, <laughs> contextualize that cliche. But. Um, <laughs> He, it's it's got to start somewhere, and I'd I'm quite sort of licking my lips um, with these incoming games. Mind you, I thought that about United at Old Trafford. Yeah, uh, but that wasn't <laughs> that was kind of out of our, you know, that was that was just a, a freak a freak decision that completely skewed the game away from us. And if we go into these games against Tottenham and Arsenal and come out the other side, you know, winning, that's going to do absolute wonders for the the morale, for the momentum, for the mentality and for the rest of the season. Not only for us, but you put in a big dent in Arsenal's title challenge if you win them. And these two, it's like, you know, the FA Cup game, I'm kind of putting that to one side. Perhaps I shouldn't because that will influence how we face each other in the league sort of mentally but it really is pivotal these these two games and whoever wins them is surely you know destined to to win the title yeah two draws coming up so uh, that yep, doesn't help guaranteed, anybody um, guaranteed uh, cash just on the FA Cup game then um 
like, is there a, is there an argument here for for Arteta doing things a little bit differently in the cup, just to make sure that, like, basically to not give City a free hit against what you'll do in the league? I mean, very possible. I think that that would be more of a, a question in terms of if both of the games were at the Etihad or both the games were at the Emirates. Um, I think so. I think regardless of where, like, so if we're in, we're playing away, we'll we'll probably let City have a bit more of the ball, try and dominate the space more than the possession kind of thing. Um, I mean, you'll have seen pretty similar stuff a thousand times over the past few years. Um, so I think I think he, we have to rotate a little bit anyway. He wants to keep the squad fresh, give people minutes here and there. Um, what? Yeah. So, but it's, it, he'll definitely try and, and be go into it strong, try and get the win because it's one of those. I think he wants he wants to to have the best of both worlds, is what I would guess, and be able to rotate enough that if we lose, we can say, oh well, they beat the B team. The real one's coming up. That's life. But if we win, we can say, shit, we actually, we can go against this lot again in three weeks and then again in two months' time. Um, how it will pan out, I think City will win a tight game. And I worry, I worry more than anything about just, yeah, just the, the belief ahead of the three weeks' time. So less less losing our own momentum and more handing more to City because it felt in that second half against Tottenham that maybe not that they found their top gear, but they definitely had found their way to be themselves again. Yeah. And that's we just that's the the power we need to try and take away from City, and I don't think we'll really be able to do it in the FA Cup game. Yeah, but I mean, just, if but if we were to play the league game tomorrow, I think we'd win. So and a lot can change in the three weeks between now and then. So it's it's very yeah, it's very tough to to really say with any clarity. Yeah, Dom, does would a City FA Cup win go some way to breaking Arsenal's momentum? I think, as Kesh said, a lot can change between now and that game in the middle of February, and. The only way City can impact anything changing in that interim period is by sort of, you know, maybe making a dent in Arsenal on on Friday. I mean, it's an interesting one because you could make a case that Arsenal, any Arsenal defeat apart from if they were to get massively turned over and it was like a bit of a sort of a, a mental setback would be good for them because they'll be out of the cup and they can just focus on this this title that's been getting chased for a couple of decades and, and that that be even well. less games for them this season, that wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that would work nicely. But so I think um I, do you know what what it reminds me of a little bit was the um the City United FA Cup game in the eleven twelve season. Um when obviously now so much hap- uh, talking of how much can change from now to the end of the season, City still had time to go way behind and then the Aguero thing happened. But that game was like the first Manchester derby after that 6-1. Uh, Vincent Company gets sent off in the first 10 minutes. United went 3-0 up at half-time. Their fans were singing, we want six. And other brouhaha. City came back and only lost that 1-3-2 uh, with 10 men. And I I seem to remember at the ground that day, there was a feeling of like, that felt like a real mark from City. Of like, they're not going to go anywhere. They're going to win this title. Um, mm. So... I mean, if Arsenal, if Arsenal could have a defeat like that, that might be their best case scenario, actually. If Arsenal lost, but like not City about a bit with a changed mm-hmm. team and go, that, that that might be, if you were to pick a dream scenario, that might be it for Arsenal. I mean, I'd grab that with both hands if that helps. I think, mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, fewer games are better for us. We don't really have the squad for it. But yeah, it's, it's, as I say, just want try to and, try and take the wind out of City sails a little bit and as much as we can. And also, I mean, I'd love to win the cup. Obviously, I'd love to win everything, but... You know, at this point, it would feel like a big disappointment to to win the FA Cup and not the league in May, which is obviously, you know, how much success we've had over the past five years. How much can we be choosers rather than beggars? But, you know, that's 
it would feel a big disappointment to to do anything but win the league from this point, even though there's a very good chance we still won't. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk Get a dollop of City Nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Cash, I mean, the, the other interesting dynamic for this FA Cup game is that, you know, it's the fourth round of the Cup. You draw a Premier League team in the fourth round of the Cup. You've normally played them once already this season. The mm. fact that we've had that game rearranged, like it, it really kind of puts a focus on this game. It's a Friday night. It's, you know, it's a it, it's an evening game under the lights, all that sort of cliched stuff. Mm. Like, it, it it's going to be a fascinating insight into how both of these teams approach this. Yeah, and I was, I was thinking about this before as well, because since the game on New Year's Day last year in 2022, um, we've, I think we've played basically one game that I wouldn't have expected us to go into and try and dominate in terms of you know having all the ball, putting teams under pressure, particularly this season. And the only team who I think we can say that, that we wouldn't go in and try and you know pin them right back is City. And we've not played them for over a year now. So that's and so yeah, this is we're going to learn a lot about. Oh, I mean, in terms of how confident the team feels in itself, how confident Arteta feels in it, how much he's considering City, and also then from the City side, how much he's respecting or fearing Arteta or not, or maybe he's, he thinks he's still got his number. Yeah, Chris, for from a City point of view, in terms of a of a selection. Um, Again, it'd be very easy for for City to to drop a few players, rotate a few players here and there. Um, the other suggestion is, you know, full strength team except for the for the goalkeeper. Stick Ortega in because he's your cook goalkeeper. It's what you do. The rest of it, go out there and and you know try and land a glove on them. Are you asking me to second guess a Pep starting yeah. eleven? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and after the few weeks we've had as well, <laughs> I don't think it's. I mean. It's only Tuesday. I don't think Pep will have about seven different iterations of that in his mind before uh, before he actually has to commit to it. But I think because he's talked so much about mentality, um, I think it would be uh, a kind of a retrograde step and a, a weird kind of way to play it if he went in there with any kind of weakened team. If he wants, if he wants mentality. If he wants uh, everyone to be firing on all cylinders, then I would expect him to go as strong as possible. Yeah. Even though, you know, as strong as possible obviously takes into account the minutes and the legs and the games coming up and strong as possible with a view to the next game also being as strong as possible from the pool you've got. So a bit of a caveat there, but you know, you know how it is. Yeah, um, and Dom, I asked Cash about um, giving uh, uh, Arsenal giving City a free hit at, at what they'll do. It's the same the other way round as well, I guess. Um, it, it's almost like Guardiola's got a, like it's like it reminds me of those Chelsea games in the run up to the, the Champions League final. I know they, they ended up losing the final by doing something daft anyway, but <laughs> there, there, there was the FA Cup game and the, and the league game where you'd say, well, in both of those games, don't play your normal setup just in case it gives them a, 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 an idea of how to beat you. 
Yeah, I mean, but of course he played the the now sort of traditional heavily rotated FA Cup semi final team that lost. And then because the thing is, what gets lost in the wash there because the Champions League final team was a bit weird is the team he picked for the home game against Chelsea was absolutely bizarre. It was like Rodri in midfield on his own and a load of forwards just gadding around all over the place. So um, <laughs> I think... Um, gadding. Love it. I, yeah, so that was all a bit uh, public school, wasn't it? Um, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think if there's a lesson to be learned from those Chelsea games... Just um, play a normal team against Arsenal this Friday. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't baffle your head. Yeah, because by sort of... That, I think Guardiola needs to do, I mean, again, far be it for me to tell him how to pick teams that make sense. I think it would be helpful for Guardiola if he could pick a team that produced a performance that is a little bit of a a roadmap for what needs to happen in mid-February. Um, yeah, you wouldn't expect it to be all sort of, all the full-strength team, but I mean, then you, then you get back to what is City's first full-strength team, first-choice team at the moment, which is a bit of a can of worms. But yeah, I think I can't see anything... Overly experimental in the famous last words <laughs> sense. Yeah, I'll clip that up ready for next week. Don't we worry. Um, <laughs> let's get some predictions on the board. We won on the charity bet on last week's podcast. It was our Wolves guest, Matt Cooper, who correctly predicted his own side's 3-0 defeat. So at least there was a small positive for him out in the afternoon. That takes the total for the Man City fans food bank support group up to £535 for this season so far. So helping the Trussell Trust and Manchester Central Food Bank support people living in poverty. Um, Cash, I'm going to start with you because um, like we've we talked about uh, kind of ideal scenarios for uh, for Arsenal, what are you going for? I'm going to say two one City, so not complete ideal, but something we can all live with. Yeah, well, uh, two one City is fifteen to two and uh, seventy five pounds if you're right. Don, what are you having? I'm having two two on the grounds of Sod's Law because no one will want that to happen, and also delicious narrative because there'll be a replay before the league game, and yeah, God. who doesn't love narrative? This will, this is like I, I played a football manager game one year where I kept having games postponed and I drew United in the Champions League uh, at the same time as I had them in an FA Cup and uh, two league games and I played I played I only United for about a month and I was like this will <laughs> never happen and then you know so uh, it could happen could happen later on in the season two two is uh, fourteen to one and one hundred and forty pounds Chris what are you going for Well I think it's going to be tight as well um, I've gone for three two to City but. I wouldn't be surprised if it was the other way around. Yeah, well, uh, three-two City is uh, our biggest uh, option on the day. Twenty-two to one, uh, two hundred and twenty pounds if you're right. So fingers crossed you are. Uh, remember, you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on gambling responsibly, take a look at BeGambleAware.org. Uh, Cash, it's been really interesting. So thank you very much for uh, for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Right, well, on Sunday, Erling Haaland scored his fourth hat-trick of his City career. He's got 31 goals for City in all competitions this season, and he's this season's leading Premier League scorer by nine goals, with 25 to Harry Kane's 16 in second place. Of his goals, 22 have been scored at the Etihad, and only 13 players have netted more times at Eastlands than he has. Dan Burke has been looking back at the final goals from the players with more at the Etihad than Haaland. <laughs> Five of the 13 players on this list are still at City. Kevin De Bruyne, Riyad Mahrez, Ilkay Gundogan, Phil Foden and Bernardo Silva could all extend their totals further. But Haaland could pass a couple of them in the meantime too. That means for now, we're focusing on the players who have already left. And there's only one place to start. Here goes Aguero! He's done it! 
Sergio Aguero! The fairy tale finale in the Premier League. They love him. They love the moment. It could not be more appropriate. That was Sergio Aguero's penultimate goal at Eastlands. It was in a 5-0 win over Everton where he came off the bench in his final appearance. A few minutes later, he did this. Oh, it's Sergio Aguero with a header! He hasn't finished yet! It's not the easiest of headers. It's got a, it's quite a long way out. Haaland won't be passing Aguero's 149 goals at the Etihad just yet. And the same is true for the player in second place. Raheem Sterling finished on 69. Grealish. The time for five. Is the time for five. Sterling, there it is. That was Sterling's final home goal for City, the last of a 5 0 win over Newcastle last season. A few weeks earlier, Gabriel Jesus, who is next on the list, netted for the final time at the Etihad too. Laporte flicks it forward to Foden, who took it well. Kevin De Bruyne, missed by Tony Cross. Here's a chance for two. It is two. And Gabriel Jesus gets himself a Brazilian can't stop scoring. It's a dream start to the semi-final for Manchester City. They lead 2-0. Jesus scored 53 times at home for City across five and a half seasons. Close behind him with 49 goals at Eastlands is Carlos Tevez. Here's his final goal. Tevez. Carlos Tevez. They've been lacklustre tonight, but they've pinched the lead. Champions can do that to you. Fabulous finish, but hard and cruel and sore for Wigan. We can't feel too sorry for Wigan. They'd go on to beat City in the FA Cup final a few weeks after that. Tevez's 49 goals is still a lot for Haaland to be setting his sights on this season, but could David Silva's 42 be possible? Haaland would need 20 more at the Etihad. Well, who needs Kevin De Bruyne when you've got David Silva still performing in your ranks and Silva that is why he has been such a legend at this club for such a long time 10 years here he's about to say his farewells but he is doing it in style that was Silva scoring a free kick against Bournemouth in lockdown in July 2020 two strikes behind the Spaniard is Yaya Torre he finished at City with 40 goals at the Etihad. His last was a classic Torre finish against West Brom in 2017. Torre has come in behind here, and Yaya Torre does it again against West Brom. He just loves playing against this club. It's his fifth goal in five appearances against them, and City are starting to crank up some serious numbers here. If we're looking at how high up this list Haaland can climb before the end of the season, it's at this stage where things get interesting. Next up is Edin Dzeko, who scored 30 times at Eastlands. He's definitely in Haaland's sights, with the Norwegian eight behind. Dzeko's final home goal came against Newcastle in 2015. Well pulled down by Dzeko, it's a wonderful control and finish. And that leaves Sean Wright Phillips, who will almost certainly be passed in the coming weeks. He finished on 23 home goals, one more than Haaland currently has. We couldn't find footage of the final Wright Phillips strike for City against Timo Schwara in the Europa League in 2010, so instead, here's his first Eastlands goal. Bosfeldt, Sommer, 
Osfeldt was caught there late. The referee saw it, but as wave play on, and right, Phillips has scored! It was Chris McLean, and it bounced right at the feet of Gerard Doherty. That was City's second of a 5-0 win over TNS in their first competitive match at the stadium. Of the current players that Haaland could catch for home goals this season, Bernardo, Foden and Gundogan aren't too far away. They're currently on 24, 28 and 29 respectively. Only Mares on 43 and De Bruyne on 55 seem completely safe from being overtaken by the Norwegian, for this season at least. Gerard Beacons, uh, former player of Manchester City, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was Dan Burke looking back at some of the final goals from players with more goals at the Etihad than Erling Haaland. Uh, going to finish this week with uh, some listener questions. Get in touch for future episodes on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can also email us as well. Just go to the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. There is a form on the homepage there to fill in. We'll get your email that way. Uh, Gavin Thompson's been in touch to say, a lot is made of City focusing on controlling the game, slowing it down and not wanting to be countered. Doesn't this point to issues in the back four? City look weakish at the back and haven't looked like a really solid unit it for some time. A back four that can be relied upon to deal with fast breaks is surely needed to win a title or the Champions League. Also on that, what's happened to Diaz? Is he out of favour even when he's fit? And Laporte, is he still to get to full fitness? Those two and Stones are our top three centre-halves. Um, Don, we talked about Stones and, and Laporte in the first part of the show. Um, just kind of taking that discussion on a little bit here, is there an issue with, with City and and a consistent selection in the back four does it would that help to, to to kind of make City a bit more stable at the back? Yeah, I mean, I guess is it even helpful to think of it as a back four anymore? You know, it, it, it's a it's a back four out of possession, but City have the ball so much of the time. It's like this this three and a two and a build up with one full back next to Rodri and three sort of fanning out across the back. So, but I agree that. There has been so many combinations. Now, part of that is because of injury issues alluded to. Like, so obviously Laporte was out at the end of the, at the start of the season after an injury in the last season, and then went and played all the World Cup. So I reckon there's, there's probably a fitness. There's fitness things they're managing there. Diaz has had over over twenty twenty two. He had sort of two or three sort of muscular things. So they're probably wanting to be careful there. But um, yeah, I think. It could definitely look more convincing. And I think Akanji has been probably a decent bargain signing. But in that setup where they have, if it is like the three out and out defenders, I think it's safe to say you'd probably feel a lot more confident with a fit and on form Diaz in the middle of it than Akanji at the moment. Even though I thought Akanji was poor against Tottenham, but I thought he did, did pretty well against Wolves. Um Again, like Nathan Ake's been one of the most consistent performers this season, has been outstanding. But you do think that, like Laporte, Stones, and Diaz, you're probably talking guys who are in the top ten central defenders in the world. There, I don't think you'd put Ake in that conversation, and that's not to do him down. He's been excellent, but it the defense has often looked a little bit like the kind of defense that might turn up for one of those um, FA Cup semi-finals we mentioned, when everyone's getting arrested in April and they get turned over. So. Yeah, the, the injury situation hasn't been ideal, but I can certainly see the logic of you think if the control isn't there, 
you need that really, really good one-on-one Stay, sort of stable base. Yeah, you you want you want Stones and Diaz from the lockdown season. I think that's what a lot of people would like to see. Um, but for various reasons, that's not that's not been able to happen. Yeah, Chris, just looking at, at City's record this season: twenty games played in the Premier League, twenty goals conceded. Um, this time last year, after twenty games, uh, City had conceded twelve. So that they, they, they've they've conceded eight more, almost double what what they had at this stage last season. Is that is that starting to point towards a problem now? Well, it's cause for concern. Um, on the on the Diaz subject, I mean, he has he has been injured, and I would prefer him over um, a Kanji. Um, I think there's a conversation to be had about him compared to to Aki. I think I think Aki's a better footballer than. Diaz, but Diaz brings a real presence and organisation and leadership to the to the equation. Um, so I don't really know what the crack is with him. Whether it is just a case of you've been injured, it just takes time sometimes to force your way back into the team. But yeah, I would agree with um, what Don was saying there in terms of I would definitely pick him over a Kanji if they're both fully fit. Yeah, but. Yeah, there's, 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 it is a bit of chopping and changing, I think, that's um, the cause of our problems. Without Walker there as well, he brings, obviously, he's defensively very sound, but organisationally, vocally, and uh, you know, in terms of communication, he's fantastic. I'm not sure that um, Akanji or Aki are quite on that. Quite the same. Yeah. Yeah, Dom. Just you mentioned one-on-one defending as well. The the game where I think of one-on-one defending is that that Newcastle game from earlier in the season, and it really highlighted the problems that you can have when you've got one player running at somebody else with no cover behind them. Yeah, and, and do you know what? Thinking back to that game actually, because Ake went off injured in that game, didn't he? When I think it was one 0 to City, so maybe that that how they're defending for the rest of that match went is maybe an indication of how in, how as much as I've just said there's the other three longer-serving centre-backs I'd rate above him. I think maybe that shows, for this team right now, just quite how important he's become. Uh, but yeah, it's... Um, yeah, that Newcastle game is all the, all the arguments that Guardiola has, Guardiola has for control, whereas the fans would like to see a lot more chaos. Um, that would probably be among the first games he'd point to, of like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, because you don't want to be left with a game like that. You could counter that with you don't have many opponents like Alisson Maximan in that mood. Um, but then maybe the fact that Alma Traore did very little um, in a tournament for the books at the weekend against City, <laughs> that maybe shows that things are sort of, you know, tracking in the right direction there. Yeah. Chris, just finally then in in, in that case, um, it's obviously Arsenal to come. They've been on exemplary form going forward. Um, is it a case of needing to control the middle to take the pressure off the back four here to make sure that that kind of there is no situation where they are defending one-on-one, where City just control the game by keeping Arsenal quiet with the ball, by, by basically crushing the midfield? I think so, yeah. We really don't want to be in a situation where we've got, for instance, uh, Saka constantly bearing down on us uh, down the wings because he's in the form of his life looks uh, an absolute world beater at the moment looks good doesn't he yeah and you know it's, it's the name of our game in it really like just getting getting hold of the ball and controlling the game and uh, preventing 
opportunities that way. So definitely, I want to I want to see us attack Arsenal. Um, I want to see somebody really get at them properly. And I want that to be us. Yeah, yeah. Yes, right. Well, that's the end of this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening and thanks to my guests, Dom Farrell. Thank you very much. And Chris Higginbottom. Thanks for having me. We'll be back next week, so we'll see you then. Take care. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. Vassell's goal. I think to this day that is, uh, well, they call it limbs now, don't they? That's the craziest <laughs> limbs I've ever I've ever experienced. And I'm including like the Aguero goal and all sorts in there because it was just madness. People were just falling and flying through the air and all sorts. I don't quite know what it was about that goal. I think the fact he had about three goals at it before he actually <laughs> put it in. I got. Um, I remember getting knocked to the floor during the during the celebrations, managing to get back up and getting knocked to the floor again. Because they, were just, they, were, they were still going on like it. And then the bloke in front of me, his glasses had been smashed somehow and he had a bit of a cut on his face. I think some a flailing arm had just knocked into his glasses and it was, there was just literally casualties from the from the celebrations and yeah, um, yeah that, that was for one nil. So so what was it like for two nil? Well, I remember just being stunned at two nil because I was just like the first one was just like oh get in you know we've uh, we've, we've we've took the lead here. This is this is you know we're we're, we're, we're putting a, a downer on the day somewhat. But then when Petrov scored, it was like flipping out. This is happening. We could win it. You've obviously got to give it to Benjani and the, the flick of the shoulder and then his celebration as well. He's sort of It was his trademark celebration. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode. Yeah.